the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into hour three. There's um, pleas for forgiveness, there's admissions of wrong, and then there's gall. As we've spoken about for the past couple of days, a professor at Brown University wrote a piece in The Atlantic called Let's, uh, titled Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty. We need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID. I, I don't know what they have um, to seek uh, forgiveness from us on, but I was um, reading a fantastic piece on Substack by Emily Burns. Its uh, title is, With Whom Does Emily Oster Want an Amnesty? Moms, So They Will Return to the Democratic Fold. Fantastic. And we are delighted to have Emily Burns with us. Emily, thanks for joining us, and welcome to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm pleased to be on. I uh, I want to go through it. There's so much you have in here, and it's all so very good. But uh, for the sake of uh, really myself and the audience, as I do with every new guest, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, any autobiography you want, how you came to be doing what you're doing, and that sort of thing. I'll do my best. I'm, I'm kind of in flux. I feel like my life is in flux right now, but thanks largely to COVID, yeah, actually. Sure. Uh, like as I think it is for a lot of people, yeah. and I think it's going to stay that way for a while. Yeah. Um, so we we recently relocated. Um, I and my my family, my husband, and my my three kids from the Northeast, uh, largely in response to COVID policy. And um, I you know, it, I hate to say it, but for the last two years or more, I've I've kind of been. I mean, it's kind of consumed me um, initially, and it's. It was a really interesting sort of journey prior to prior to COVID. I was um, I ran a company uh, called Learnivore, and COVID sort of it was a startup. COVID put it out of its misery. Um, but my um, my background is in is in biochemistry, and when this happened, I you know I did what I always do when I have questions about science is I went to the primary literature and was researching and trying to understand my risk, my kids' risk, my parents' risk, and. You know, fairly early on, I was concerned like everybody else, and then I sort of got comfortable with mine and my kids' risk and figured, okay, well, we're going to, you know, we'll, yeah, we're kind of going crazy right now, but once we see what happens with Sweden and a couple of other things, we'll go back to normal. And um, then starting to see that actually, like, a lot of the science that I thought would be getting done just kind of stopped just never showed up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I ended up getting um, getting more and more involved and getting involved with people who were just, frankly, like data data analysts, scientists, other people who were sort of asking questions. And um, that has been a it's been, it's been an interesting journey for the last um, couple of years. Ended up getting involved with the people who did the Great Barrington Declaration, which I'm not sure if you, you know, oh, yes, your yes, readers yes, will yes, know, yes, yes, but yeah, yes, yes. or listeners. Yeah, so getting involved with those people, getting involved with people at Rational Ground, um, various other people who are, again, just like bringing data and saying, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And really just continuing to question. And ultimately, things just got so bizarre in um, in the Northeast that you know, it just kind of forced, um, I don't know, it felt like it forced my hand. And 
at some point, actually, I I ended up deciding in in actually the summer of 2021 that I was going to run for Congress, mm-hmm. uh, which I did uh, for I announced in October of last year. Um, and the the deal I said to my husband as I said, you know, we can I I'm either going to run for Congress so we can force a conversation about what we've done, or we're going to move. And he said, I'm not ready to move. And then he hit his limit in December of 2021, and I withdrew in February, and we started the process to move down to Austin. And so now I'm sort of, I, I think, I, I'm not sure quite how to define myself right now, uh, except for that you know, I, I feel like I'm pretty committed to just making sure that this never happens again, whether or not that's through, um, through, through research, through politics, through whatever. Mm. It's, yeah, I think there are a lot of us who really want to make sure that the errors of the last two years are acknowledged and not repeated. There are. I agree with you. And there are perhaps even more that want us to forget. And um, yes. and and that's, of course, some of what you write about here. But let me um, let me start before I go before I start quoting you to yourself, because it's great stuff and worth the audience hearing as well as reading. Emily, um, there is this notion uh, from uh, from uh, from Dr. Oster or Emily Oster, uh, the person who's seeking for, for the amnesty, the professor at Brown and others there's you, you read variations of it. She writes it. Others have written that. Well, you know, at the beginning, we were all kind of in the dark and we didn't know a lot and we just kind of did the best we could. I don't buy that. Um, I was there at the beginning. And by April, certainly by May, we knew most of what we needed to know with regard to a lot that was being fed us, including and especially about risks to children. There's a little bit of revision going on here, I think, by those who are seeking this amnesty. There absolutely is. And I think a lot of people have written a lot about that, and I think that is absolutely the truth. I think that people forget the fact that this, all of these, these actions we did, they were, they were complete, they they completely dropped the existing pandemic plans. We actually have a very well-stratified matrix that defines, you know, given the severity of X, Y, Z, you know, we do this. None of this was in any event, even if it were on the level, and they had it for up to the level of the Spanish flu. And mm-hmm. we, even early on, we knew it wasn't even close to that. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't like that. And there really, it was, as you said, uh, frankly, once, I mean, there were a couple of things that, that came out in, um, I would say, in late May, in late April and early May that, like you said, really gave us all of the information we we were still lacking. And even those were things where, and we could we were there were some questions we weren't asking very hard right um, and they didn't want us asking they tried to bury yeah. a lot of it too they did not want us asking yeah. a lot of these questions i no. was censored a lot um on youtube for raising some of these questions um You'll like this. Here, here's a fun one. You want you want a fun one, Emily? I'll, this is fun. Yeah. There was a wonderful um, assistant secretary for mental health services at the Department of uh, HHS in Washington. She was a psychiatrist and she was a psychologist, children's psychology uh, and uh, adult psychiatry. And she was giving a speech in April about what the mental health shock waves would be if we closed schools and kept them closed. I um, I quoted it, put it on YouTube. YouTube censored it. 
They said we can only use government sources. The next day, all I did was read her exact verbatim speech. They censored it. And we said, I don't know what a government source is if it's not the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services. (laughs) I mean, they played games and lied and lied and lied and suppressed and suppressed. To the degree that some people claim not to have known what they should have known or wanted to know, or to the degree some people claim they were in the dark, it's because they censored those of us who weren't. Yeah. And and honestly, it's just not, it's just simply not credible. And, you know, it, it either, it, they're either lying or they're dumb. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, and I hate, like, I don't, I don't think they're dumb. I mean, they're not as smart as they think they are, but I don't think they're dumb. And you can, frankly, you can see where they, because, you know, we have Twitter, we have all of these things. We can go back and we can look at people's feeds. We can see what they were saying in March and April and May and June and July and August of 2020 and how that changed. And uh, it's, it's really just, I mean, there's no, there's no question. It wasn't, um, it, it was, it was, it was simply, it was malfeasance and it was, it was misdirection and, and continuing it into, I, I, in some ways, yeah, because they continued it into 20, um, yeah, in, in, Deep into 2021 Mm -hmm. is when I think they really started to lose even the true believers. I think you're right. And I want to thus take us into that next area that you write about in your piece at Substack, which is, you know, the way you're looking at this election now as a result of so much of this. But before we do, I want to I want to take a quick commercial break and come back on this lying or dumb uh, equation, because I think I have. Let me just plant it with you, and, and we'll come back on the break. I, I wonder if, yes, I, I could see the lying or dumb equation, but I can also see that there was, love, love your input on the other side of the break, there was a level of paranoia and anxiety um, that was ripe to be picked because we had been on a several-year spree of talking about how bad things in America were. Um, There has been always a left-wing notion in this country, and some parts on the right, that we're always on the precipice of destruction. There's this paranoid ethos in American politics sometimes. And I also think there's something to be said for the politicalization of the virus to get Trump out. And if if you might comment on that when we come right back, I'd, I'd be delighted. Yep, absolutely. I'm Seth Liebson. She's Emily Burns. Please read her piece, emilyburns.substack.com. With whom does Emily Oster want an amnesty? This Emily Burns, and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Emily Burns is our guest. She is a writer and um, journalist and uh, activist, I will say. Um, EmilyBurns.substack.com is where you can read her most recent piece. Relamination is the title of her uh, Substack series. And we're talking about those that want amnesty, particularly a professor at Brown who wrote an important or at least uh, now well-circulated essay for the Atlantic Monthly that we should give amnesty for those who got covid uh, wrong. Uh, lying or dumb is certainly uh, one way to look at or think about how people succumb to all this, Emily Burns. I think there was a um, a, uh, a use of paranoia. I think that that was exploited in a certain part of the population. Um, I think it was built on years and years of, you know, the most extreme forms of language used against 
uh, well, uh, to be blunt, conservatives are fascists. They weren't Republicans. They didn't differ with us. They were fascists. They were neo-Nazis. Yeah. They were white supremacists. Um, and, you know, we're always on the eve of destruction is a certain element in our society. And I think it was very clear from the kinds of things Joe Biden and Kamala Harris said that this was going to be a very – this was a very much politicalized or politicized uh, use of public health, misuse of public health to get Trump out, I think. I, I agree. And I think it's really hard to come to any other any, an other conclusion. And I, I remember – I have a very visceral memory of, of when it became really clear to me when that was happening and it was – um, it was it was sometime in it was sometime in May of 2020. I was I was driving my truck down from from New Hampshire to um, to Massachusetts, and I was listening to NPR. Last time I ever listened to NPR, and I like I said I I'd just been I'd been sifting so much data and I look reading so much about this, and I'm listening to NPR describe you know they're talking about the case rates and they're talking about ch- cases and children and they're not they're they're you know they're no, they're ignoring the fact that we know that this is like not even remotely close to um, all of that, and that therefore any sort of death rate or hospitalization rate is like wildly inflated. And I just I yeah started screaming at the radio like you know they're lying like they're at, they're just they're doing this they're 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 lying and it was very clear why they were lying they were lying to keep people afraid they were lying because they realized that that you know they could p- keep it going and you know as I. I I started, you know, that's kind of when I got, you know, frankly, like, um, just, it, it was really when, when for me, things kind of flipped into a different, different level for me, where I was just like, this is like, this is going to, this is just going to keep going on. And I, I remember talking to, you know, my friends and family who are, you know, largely liberal. And I was trying, you know, trying to convince them of all these reasons why they, why we needed to be able to go back to normal. And, you know, and I thought I'd, I thought I'd hit on a perfect solution. I said to him, I said, you know, this was in, this was in May of 2020. I said, we've got to go back to normal because if we don't all start, if we don't all go and accept whatever risk we're comfortable with, and, you know, then, then the teachers are going to say, come, come fall, like, well, you know, if you're not working from home, if you're not working, yeah. why should I have to work? Right. And if if right. the teachers don't have to work, right. then, you know, the kids aren't going to go to school. And this is where I thought I had, had my, my my family and friends. I said, and if the kids don't go, go to school, then Trump's going to be able to run mm-hmm. on on sending kids back to school, and he's going to win, and he's he's going to deserve to be to win. I never dreamed that you could actually run on keeping kids out of school, but that's where we are right now. I mean, we like that's an acceptable position. It has been an acceptable position for nigh on two years. So it's an I, incredible I thing you. because, you know, um, yeah, I, I'm not fully sure of your politics and I don't need to be. But I will tell you, I, as a conservative uh, who's been in the field for quite so many years now, it was interesting to see a movement that usually justifies policy for the sake of the children doing its exact opposite. We were trying to soothe the anxieties of adults by using children for something that really wasn't going to touch them. On top of which, you know, when you think of, you know, a lot of the left or liberal NEA type catchphrases like social and emotional learning, that's what they were harming the most. I mean, almost everything you thought good liberals, if I can use that colloquialism, stood for, they stopped. 
They stopped standing yeah. for that stuff. Well, they didn't just stop. They, I mean, it was a complete inversion. Okay. I mean, and that's the thing. I, to me, it's like that. That, or, or I don't know if it really was an inversion, or if they were all. It was all. My husband is is quite conservative, and he's always said that yeah, they never meant any of it, and that's all cynical. Uh, I didn't really believe that, no. but um, to to that level, I'm yeah, I'm more of a yeah, kind of middle of the road libertarian, or was. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, you were um, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I, I watched as just like every single thing was just, and you know they were you know you want to talk about racial equity, all of these policies oh, wow. harmed harmed minorities greater. The, I mean my my thing as you saw in my or my my refrain as you saw in the article, and this has been my refrain since May of 2020 is our pandemic policy was basically you know in. In, infect the poor, protect the rich. Yeah, protect and the rich, infect the poor. Only the rich need to learn. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's that's exactly yeah. right. And only the poor need only only the poor have to work, by the way, and only mm-hmm. the poor have to suffer the greatest of mandates um, and yeah. doing so in serving the rich, uh, whether it was masking or whether it was uh, choosing between taking an experimental vaccination, even if you weren't at risk, even if you had had covid, even if you had pre-existing immunity. I mean, all of it, all of it betrayed common sense and. I don't know, you know, I don't know how to put this, Emily, maybe you do, but there's something still very much not right about this country that I think all transpired as a result of those two years. There's 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 a bigger mental health crisis for certain. There's obviously substance, uh, uh, drug use and alcohol overuse problems for certain. But there's something else going on, too. I, I just think we were taken off our center. I think we were knocked off our axis in a way, all of us, that it's going to be hard to get to. I don't know if I'm explaining something you see or feel as well, but something's still not right with this country. I think that's exactly right. And I, and I think that and it, it, it is. I mean, we just we took a we took just like a gut punch. We know we did. And they're asking us to say that we didn't yeah. and to just move on with that. And it wasn't, yeah, it, it wasn't the global pandemic. It was the, you know, it was the c- catastrophic global pandemic response, Correct. You know, policy Correct. response. Correct. And as bad as it is here, it's so much worse than other parts of the country. I mean, the destabilization is just, and you feel it everywhere. You feel it in the, in the energy markets. You feel it in, in every, every part. I and mean, look at what has, like, I, when, at one point I ended up doing um, a, and this was in November of 2021. Uh, a, a town hall with some, some with a group in Uganda, and I, um, I, I was I was talking with these these people doing this doing this webinar, and I'm watching the chats come coming in, and they're like they're still in lockdown. Mm-hmm. They haven't opened their schools mm-hmm. ever. It hadn't opened their schools in that time. Mm-hmm. Um, people they're literally talking about starving, mm-hmm. and. Meanwhile, Uganda had were the, the the elite in Uganda were pushing for having a vaccine passport when they had zero point six percent vaccination. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just it is so destabilizing, and I think until we actually grapple with the fact that this is wrong, it's going to remain just this just this sort of zone of angst and and anger. Uh, that's a great. Great phrase for Sona Thanks, Danina. Let me take another quick commercial break. I do want to get to uh, what you're talking about with regard to this upcoming election less than a week away. If you don't mind, uh, we'll be right back. Emily Burns is our guest. Check her out, emilyburns.substack.com. Be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Emily Burns is our guest. She is a writer, among other things, at Substack, and you can follow her and read her material at emilyburns.substack.com. Title of her latest piece, we're discussing with whom does Emily Oster want an amnesty? Emily Oster is the professor who wants us to just uh, forgive and forget. She actually says we need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID. What forgiveness do they need? Do we need to seek from them? By the way, uh, is, is there, <laughs> and, what do they want from us? I mean, I think the things we were saying on this show. I'm guessing the things you were writing about turned out to be more true than the things right. the CDC and Anthony Fauci said throughout. Throughout, I'm sure yeah. of it. Nothing they said lasted more than a month to be true. And almost everything we did did. What 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 forgiveness do we need to seek? Yeah, no, I I, I wholeheartedly agree, and I think that's a big part of of why this has created so much of an uproar. It's like, no, we, <laughs> you know, we were, you know, I think, yeah, you know, we, it, and it's not like it's not taking a victory lap. It's not like all of her reasons for this are. It's just not true. It's not true that we didn't know. Yeah, you know, it's not the same as like, it's not an accident. Um, one of my friends, one of my friends had a has a Substack piece, and she her her analogy, which I thought was just wonderful. She said, "You can't claim you know, that it was done in the fog of war when you're walking around with a fog machine on your back." Oh, nicely put. Yeah, yeah, nicely <laughs> yeah. put. Yeah, and that's that's what they're asking us to do because this is, I mean, these as these were not sins of you know, omission; they were sins of commission. So, no, we don't. We, I don't think that there is. An apology needed. I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, when I look at, say, like, yeah, you know, the, the the Trump policy response, the, the the issue that I have with that, with with his policy response is that he just won't come out and say what he really thought, and he he and he lost the election because of it. It wasn't until you know two weeks before, you know, he finally started saying the stuff that he needed to say that really would have galvanized people, and I'm sure he would have had had a lot of. And I realized that there were a lot of other issues. And that, frankly, yeah, and that by that time it was too late with the, the mail-in voting. But when he finally started saying the things that galvanized people to um, to the cause, I think, you know, that would have been, yeah, that was good. But it wasn't like, to me, it's like that, you know, when they're like, oh, you know, Trump and, you know, the bleach and, you know, hydroxychloroquine. And frankly, it's like the efficacy of things like hydroxychloroquine and, you know, and, and ivermectin. Like, you know, the, the studies that we have aren't any, you know, they, they don't show a significantly different you know, profile to, you know, many of the other things that have been touted as, you know, absolute, you know, absolute savior. So it's been a very, it's been a very one-sided evaluation. And I don't think that there is, um, I think, I think, I think that the guilt is, is pretty one-sided too. Yeah. I, I, and I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think about, as you're talking, I'm trying to think about what the worst thing I heard from a political leader was. And I think it was during the debates, frankly, when Joe Biden said something along the lines of, if you hear nothing else tonight, anyone who's responsible for 230,000 deaths on his watch or 220,000 deaths on his watch is not qualified <laughs> to be president. And 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 I yeah. thought at that point, oh, boy, if you win, that's going to come back to bite you. And, yeah. uh, you know, does Biden did win or is the president who has presided over 600,000 deaths with a vaccine, many boosters, and not a novel virus anymore. He had a year's experience. And we're supposed to forget that, too? 
I mean, this is this yeah. they they this is really hard to take. It's really hard for people with consciences and and reason to just accept and move on. I mean, this country, this world was altered by this stupidity and politicalization. Yeah, without question. All right. So that gets us to what I keep promising to ask you about, which is your views on this upcoming election that you write about, which I really love. Um, Let me take one more quick break if I can. Is it okay to do one more segment with you, Emily? You okay for one more? Absolutely. Let me quote to you your words and the audience what you wrote. You said, my vote this cycle is a vote for vengeance against the party that kept my kids masked for two years that robbed me of my best friends and strained every relationship I have. That caused us to move to an entirely different part of the country that perverted a discipline that I love and which I used to navigate my life, science, and then lied about doing it and called me a terrorist for being upset about it. Well said, Emily Burns. Emily and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Emily Burns is our guest. She uh, writes the Relamination uh, column at Substack. EmilyBurns.substack.com is where you can access it. Emily, um, your vote this election. You um, you you describe yourself, I think, if I'm if I remember right, as as a as a as a pro-choice person, and yet you noted something that was kind of an interesting connection here that the that the left or maybe the Democratic Party in this country made a calculation to change the subject. Um, can you talk a little bit about what, you're, what you mean by that as someone who, who, who I think, if I'm quoting you correctly, describes themselves as pro-choice, what, what took place here? Yeah, and I, I look at it as it's, it's a very, it's, it's just terribly cynical, right? Yeah. They, they did all this harm, and they want, they want us to just say, they want to say, look, you know, we can't look back. We need to look forward. It was a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you can forgive it because it was a mistake, and then look over here. This is what these guys are going to take from you. And I think, you know, I, I, know, I know a lot of people who are, you know, much further along to the left of the, uh, the political spectrum than I am who are, who have frankly just watched, you know, r- you know, rights just be stripped right and left, mm-hmm. and seen that there is really no like that fundamentally on the left side of the political aisle, there is no appreciation for individual rights. That it really is this sort of this, you know, this pandering to collectivism, which always ends up being authoritarianism because somebody has to decide who the good of the collective is, and it's always somebody who's very near the top of the power structure. And we've seen how that that fundamentally it makes all all rights meaningless you know no matter what you think a right is like you don't you don't have rights when when you know an individual or a group you know a cabal gets to decide what what is what they are mm-hmm. and that i think really is yeah i i think that this this election really is one where you look and say it's like okay what what do i what do I value most, you know? Um, and I, I think that for me, like, you know, individual freedom and freedom of speech um, are, you know, really kind of the key things that are that all other freedoms are grounded on. And that in the absence of, I mean, we had, where I live, you know, we had you know, freedom of association removed for you know, almost almost a year. Mm-hmm. We couldn't, you know, we weren't allowed to, to, to meet in groups of more than ten, mm-hmm. um, and inside, and or and you know, yeah, similarly outside, and of course we saw where you know, our you know our leaders were doing different things. Yeah, um, and it really it just it it kind of it kind of crystallizes things, and 
and I've, as I said, you know, I do, I am kind of, I'm, yeah, I'm, I don't, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, not, I'm not, <laughs> I call myself conservative, conservative because liberal, because I'm kind of a classical liberal. Oh, yeah. And okay. I, I have found that one of the things that I found over the past, past couple of years is that, you know, if you treat, if you approach people with respect, you, you really can make a lot more headway and that there's no, you know, that, yeah, my sense is that people on on the right have been yeah far more willing to engage and to be, um, you know they they've been they've been the fighters in this and I've ha- and I've definitely stepped stepped back and said okay you know, even some of the positions I disagree with, you know, what aspects of those positions are you know informing perhaps some of these good outcomes that um, that I that I now find myself seeking out. But you're right too though, and 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 let me. Um... Let me put in a word for this, and you put this up up front in your piece. You're right too that it wasn't; it was mostly left right, but it wasn't exclusively left right. Uh, you're right, you're you're right to point that out. There were there were many uh, in the Republican Party uh, or you know um, conservatives that also fell for a lot of this too. Um, I guess it's hard when uh, all the elites are telling you you're wrong, it's pretty hard to to stand up on all that we were kind of taught and grew up with, or at least the notions of independent thought that we were taught and grew up with. You know, if you're right, uh, you're the majority. But, but, you know, when when every network is pushing you into panic and sounding alarms and sirens, I'll forgive a little bit of, I'll forgive a little bit of it for both sides, maybe for a month, but not after a month. And, yeah, you're right to call out the people who who were really good on this. Uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, Kirsty Noem, Rand Paul, uh, and, of course, those those wonderful doctors who who uh, who had to, you know, take great risk in their professions to do their great Barrington state. Have you seen this law that's pending in California? Yeah, this this is an incredible thing. Talk about free speech. Talk about interfering in the in the doctor's office and. And, and, and interfering, putting the state between doctor and patient, this law in California will put doctors' licenses at risk, their licensure at risk, if they if they ever deign to speak out against the, the orthodoxy that comes from the CDC or the State Department of Public Health in the, California's case, which terrifies me because they're the ones that got it most wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the government has been wrong on, like, I mean, not just once, right? right. Where it's like they, for them, it doesn't seem to, you know, and not just once on one issue. It's right. like they have to be wrong multiple times in multiple ways. It's like they go around an issue saying, "How many ways can we get this wrong?" <laughs> and how many ways can we prove Orwell correct? I mean, that aside from being wrong, the other parts of it that were just stunning to me were the the cover of darkness, midnight changes on the CDC website of what the term vaccine meant. Um, the breakthrough infection thing was slays me. The breakthrough death and, in, and infection thing slays me. The CDC had a running tally of breakthrough deaths for a while. And without comment, they just took it down because the numbers were inconvenient to their narrative. This isn't this isn't yeah. public health. This isn't science. This is George Orwell. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, and that I think I, I've spent a lot of the last couple of uh, years reading a lot of history, reading uh, yeah, about the <laughs> now and the revolution reading about yeah frankly that yeah i was curious about the other rise of hitler because i i look around and i know people don't like this analogy but the the problem is is that you know while we did not get to that level the 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 path is the path is similar Mm -hmm. and that's the thing that's 
and it, it's people being it's people being silenced and people allowing themselves to be silenced. And you know, if enough people uh, that that happen, then it's yeah. You know, then we we get you do end up in a totalitarian regime, and it doesn't. Yeah, interestingly, it doesn't take that many people speaking up. Right. To um, to make a difference, particularly now, right? I mean, social media for all of you know that it is like you know and god awful you know hellhole. It's also I think the reason that this didn't fly. Right? Yeah, can you and, imagine if we didn't have those certain little precincts we were allowed? If you can you imagine how we would have gotten through this without? Let me put in a word for talk radio, and yeah, a little bit of Twitter from time to time they would let us through. But yeah, uh, yes, and email. My gosh, you're absolutely right. The narrative would have been the narrative would have been 100 percent in one direction without it. Well, I just want to thank you for for doing what you're doing. I want to thank you for writing what you wrote, um, and uh, listen, hoping that common sense will prevail and that will say that this can never happen again. But as you write. Um, you know, vote to ensure that it never happens again, because the the left at this point right now is trying to convince us that this is all in the past and not to worry about it. But they 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 saw the template and they saw how easy it was to get this country to overreact, and they're already talking about other emergencies. So, Emily, yeah. um, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, some preparedness. Be prepared. <laughs> Emily Burns, really, thank you very much. This was wonderful. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. My pleasure. I am Seth Leibson. We'll come back with a concluding thought. Are you concerned with stock market volatility? What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market? A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, and there are no fees. Take a look at why refi. They are offering a an investment in a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed rate of return. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can earn up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, 10 and a quarter percent. Just go to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or call them at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. Yeah, I don't know in this quest for amnesty over the COVID policies what I need to ask or what our side needs, Team Reality needs to ask forgiveness for. This is not a two-way street. As Matt Peterson put it, it's it would go like this, I guess. It's too bad we shut the entire economy down and took on tyrannical powers that have never been used before in this country. Looking back, you should have been able to go to church and use public parks while we let people ride in the streets, but... It was a confusing time for everyone. Hey, sorry you lost your job because of the vax that doesn't work and your grandmother died alone and you couldn't have a funeral and your brother's business was needlessly destroyed and your kids have weird heart problems. But let's just admit we were all wrong and call it a day because I'm sorry we scared the hell out of you and lied for years and persecuted and censored anyone who disagreed. But there was an election going on and we really wanted to beat Donald Trump. So it was important to radically politicize the science, even if it destroyed your children's lives. It destroyed a lot of adults, too, I would add. 
It really has. When I was talking with Emily, I think it was in our first segment of the interview, hard to put your finger on it. Maybe we can pick up on this in days subsequent. Hard to put your your finger on it, but something's still not quite right here. Something's still not quite right um, in adult interactions, in adult behavior, uh, in work, in other places, um, work and recreation. Something was lost over the last two years. Something was lost that wasn't lost and wasn't missing before 2020. Something, even with all the angst over Donald Trump between 2017 and 2019 or January of 2020, we were still, as a country, though political, we were still on our axis. I still think we're tilted off of it. We'll pursue it more. Anyway, thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Liebson. God bless you all, and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.